we are repentant. We are grateful. We are redeemed. We are prayerful. We are First Baptist Church. Hello, everybody. My name's Mike, and this is... Charlotte. Might have seen her up here before. Um, I'm going to read from John 1, 9 through 14. The true light, which gives light to everyone, was coming into the world. He was in the world, and the world was made through him. Yet the world did not know him. He came to his own, and his own people did not receive him. But to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God, who were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. And the word became flesh and dwelt among us. And we have seen his glory, glory as of the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. With this candle, we magnify Christ's life. Rejoice, rejoice, Emmanuel. 
rejoice, 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 Emmanuel. Rejoice, rejoice, Emmanuel. Shall come again with us to dwell.
and that anticipation and the tension of the already not yet. Let's sing. having a midweek rehearsal as a band. And I was just like plowing through the songs. I was just like, let's get to the next song. Let's be ready for service to start in the morning. Let's, let's get through this and get done. And I was reminded, someone walked up and said, hey, can I just, have you guys heard the story for this song before? Like, oh yeah, we're here to worship. How silly is that? I get to worship every week with y'all, and, and it is such a joy, but sometimes I'm just plowing straight through, and I'm missing. So we're gonna, we're gonna stop that, and we're gonna start over again from the very top of that song. And it was kind of jolting to like, we, we were trying to worship, but I wanna, I wanna get this together. Is that okay? I wanna get this, I wanna press in and say, God, we know that you're doing something. And we know that the miracles that we read in scripture are not just miracles that you've done and that's it, but you're alive and working miracles today. Who believes that? That's right. So we're gonna stop, start that again from the top and we're just gonna slow down a little bit. Is that all right? Let's do that.
you're in that place where you're like, I just don't know how to say this, how to sing this, how to declare this right now. Maybe just position your heart in a place where you say, God, I want to believe. Can we do that right now? Just close your eyes. to be something showy or something more than it is. The reality, God, is that miracles are your hand in our life. And we want to see you work. God, we pray that through these 13 weeks and then that you would work miracles in our lives. We pray this in the power in the name of Jesus. Amen. Good morning. Um, we have the privilege to begin a brand new series entitled Miracles. And over the course of the next 13 weeks, we will be following some miracles of Jesus out of the book of Matthew. And so as we wrap up and have wrapped up Colossians, which has been all about the sufficiency of Jesus, that he is all that we need and all of life. Now we turn to one of the gospels and we get to look at this life and as he lived it on this earth among these men whom he loved and these people whom he loved, indeed he was the light of the world. And so I'm pretty excited about beginning this series with you out of the book of Matthew. If you're new with us today, Hopefully, let me be the third or fourth one to say thank you for being with us. Uh, thank you for choosing to worship uh, with us, to walk into a new building, a new space among new people. We're so glad that you're here. In the chair in front of you, there should be a little card that says connect here. Would you just take a moment and let us know that you are worshiping with us today? If you fill that out, at the close of our worship time, as you exit, I'll be in the back. I'd love for you just to hand it to me. Um, that way I can see you and uh, introduce myself to you and hopefully begin a new relationship with you. We really aim to value friendship uh, and community in our church family. And so we wanna be able to begin that relationship with you. So if you would honor us by filling that out and then handing it to me on your way out today, that would be Great, let's pray together. Father, most of all, this, this time is yours. We, we really want to make much of your son, Jesus, um, who he is, that he is your son and he's the son of man. And uh, so Lord, help us to exalt him today and help us to be postured, ready to believe. So by your spirit, help us to think as we ought and see as we ought and respond as we ought to your son, Jesus. In Jesus' name we pray and all God's people said, amen. Jesus came up from the water and as he began to pray, the skies opened up above him and the spirit of the living God rested on him and it looked almost like a dove hovering above his head. And a voice said, now this is my son. He makes me glad. 
It was only after this extraordinary moment, the baptism of Jesus by his cousin, John the Baptist, that Jesus being led by the Holy Spirit went alone into the desert to be tested. For 40 days he fasted, which means his days were spent speaking to God and listening to God and having fellowship to God. Every time his stomach hurt from a hunger pain, he was prompted to be reminded just how how he was in need of his father to be with him and to hear his voice and to speak his words. And when he was prompted in that way, he would pray. And with each passing day, his physical body grew weaker. And with each passing day, his fellowship with his father grew sweeter. When he was weak, he was strong. It was then, after the 40th day, that the accuser found him there resting against a rock, hungry and weak, but full. You're the son of God. I know you're hungry. You have the means and the ability to turn any stone into bread. In fact, you could have as much bread as you wanted with just a word, not even, you, just with just a thought. Jesus cut him off. It is written, man does not live on bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. As Jesus stood, suddenly he was no longer in the desert, but now he was on top of the temple in Jerusalem at its very highest point. And Jesus swooned. With no little amount of confidence, the devil said, you know, if you were to stumble and fall, your father would understand. You're so weak after all. And you're God's son. He wouldn't let anything happen to you. And then in a miraculous display, everyone in the temple courtyard would see you for who you are as the heavenly father would rescue you as you fell. Isn't it written? He will command his angels concerning you or on their hands they will bear you up lest you strike your foot against a stone. Again, it is written, Jesus replied, you shall never put the Lord your God to the test. Jesus blinked. And then when he opened his eyes before him, he witnessed flashes of every kingdom on earth. He knew them by name. And the accuser whispered, you know you don't have to wait. You don't have to go through any suffering at all. Take what belongs to you now. Just, just bow to me, worship me, and I will give you authority over the whole earth. Be gone, Satan, Jesus said. It is written, you shall worship the Lord your God and him only shall you serve. Closing his eyes, Jesus once again took a deep breath, and when he opened them again, he was back in the desert. And the accuser was nowhere to be seen, but he was not alone. Angels had come to him, and they began to minister to him in his weakness and in his hunger at the conclusion of his fast. Many of you are very familiar with that story, the story of Jesus' temptation in the desert. But the question I want us to ask and hopefully answer today is, what kind of son is Jesus to the Father? What kind of son is he? Uh, in what ways was the Father pleased with the Son? If we back up to chapter 3, um, verse, back in chapter 3, verses 17... Um, he says, this is my son with whom I am well pleased. In what ways was the father pleased with his son? We already know from Colossians that Jesus was the very image um, of the invisible God, that all of the fullness of God was pleased to dwell in him. But the father was not only pleased with his divinity, the divinity of his son, that part of his Nature that was all God. He was not just pleased with that, but we know also because of this scene in the desert and even up to this point in Jesus' life that God was fully pleased with Jesus' humanity, his life as a man. 
And it's in these moments in the desert that we get to see Jesus' humanity is just as important or significant to the redemption of the world as his divinity. The Father was pleased because Jesus is the new Adam. If we look at this account in Matthew chapter four, verses one through 11, the accuser, the the devil, it's almost like he takes us back to the garden to tempt the son in the same way, in the same manner that he tempted Adam and Eve from the very beginning. In fact, every temptation that we see Jesus facing is a parallel to the temptation Adam and Eve faced. The lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, the pride of life, pursuit of humanly wisdom. But where Adam and Eve failed, Jesus passed in his humanity, fully as a man. And it was absolutely necessary that Jesus live his life as a man, not relying or resting upon his divinity to make life easier. Jesus wanted to do and was required that he do this the right way. Jesus didn't cut any corners, but being the new Adam, he lived a real man's life, facing every temptation that we as men and women have faced. That's what Hebrews tells us, that Jesus faced every kind of temptation known to man. We never see Jesus use his divinity to make his life easier. And if he had, he would not have been the sufficient savior we needed. It was required that Jesus live this life as the new Adam, facing the same hardships that we would face, facing the same temptation, not cutting any corners, not using his divinity to gain any comfort or convenience in his own life. And so we will, we will learn as we move forward in Matthew, as we look at some of these miracles, that the aim of the miracles of Jesus were not to make his life more comfortable or even to make the other's life more comfortable in the moment, but he was doing something bigger, and we'll have a chance to talk about that more. But what this is all about, what these 11 verses are all about is highlighting Jesus's humanity, that he is indeed the new Adam. Where Adam and Eve failed, Jesus says, I have withstood temptation. I have withstood the accuser, and I, and I have trusted in the word of God. And so the father was pleased, but not only because he was the new Adam, but also because he was the new Israel. Whereas Israel had rejected God in the desert. Notice the similarities, 40 days in the desert, um, with 40 years in the desert and 40 days in the desert with Jesus. Jesus not only is the new Adam in that he withstood the temptation, but he's also the new Israel in that he was faithful to follow God at every turn in that span of his whole life, but in that microcosm of the 40 days, it puts a a beam of light on the humanity of Jesus where God says, this is my new Israel. He is fully God and fully Adam and fully son of the son of man in all his humanity. He's the new Adam and the new Israel. These verses let us know that Jesus was doing a brand new thing, that he was starting things over, that he was making things right. Jesus, the incarnate Son of God and the Son of Man, is the recreative work of God to bring new life to what has been dead and dying because of our sin and brokenness. That's how the Father was pleased. My son is the new Adam. He's doing things right. He's doing it the right way. My son is the new Israel. But not only that, we see also uh, this narrative about Jesus in the desert points to that reality and even expands it a little further. If you back up to Matthew 3.15, remember the story. Uh, Jesus comes to John the Baptist, his cousin, who's been ushering in the kingdom of God. He is saying he is making the path straight for the Savior, for the Messiah, who is Jesus the Christ. Jesus comes And Jesus says, you must baptize me. John the Baptist says, no, are you kidding me? I have no business baptizing you. You should be baptizing me. But what does Jesus say? He says, no, you must in order to fulfill all righteousness. So we understand the recreative work of God. 
him being the new Adam and the new Israel, is not only made possible by Jesus dying for our sin on the cross and rising from the grave, but also by his righteous life as a real man, fully man. By faith, his righteousness replaces our unrighteousness. That's what, that is what's being communicated in these 11 verses. That his resistance of temptation replaces all the times that we caved in to temptation. And we see this really spelled out later on in the New Testament. 1 Corinthians 1.30 says, And because of him you are in Christ Jesus, who became to us wisdom from God, righteousness, and sanctification, and redemption. Philippians 3.9 says, And be found in him, not having a righteousness of our own that comes from the law, but that which comes through faith in Christ, the righteousness from God that depends on faith. Or even 2 Corinthians 5.21, For our sake he made him to be sin who knew no sin. He knew no sin, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. So that's what Jesus is talking about at his baptism with John the Baptist. I have to do this thing, this, this baptism, in order to fulfill all righteousness. And I think that verse is also foreshadowing his time in the desert. I have to do this thing in the desert. I have to face the accuser head on in order to fulfill all righteousness. As a man, I must be baptized. As a man, I must be the new Adam, resisting the lies of the accuser. As a man, I must be the new Israel, always following God and his word, never going my own way. Not only to fill all of Jesus' righteousness, but to fulfill our righteousness. The new Adam, living a life without sin, so we can become new sons and daughters of God brand new, exchanging our righteousness for his own. Listen to this. This is Romans 5, 17. It says this, for if because of one man's trespass, talking about Adam, because of one man's trespass, death reigned through that one man. See what Paul's saying? He's saying the old Adam that the Adam that God created and, and then disobeyed God in the garden, that trespass led to all of our condemnation. His sin, which led to brokenness, came down to us, and we have been heirs of Adam's brokenness, and we ourselves have even chosen to sin on our own accord. And because of Adam's sin and our own sin, we now inherit death. But listen to this. For if because of one man's trespass, death reigned through that one man, much more will those who receive the abundance of grace and the free gift of righteousness. What free gift of righteousness? The righteous life of Jesus becomes our own. And the free gift of righteousness reign in life through the one man, Jesus Christ. That's what Paul is communicating to us in these verses in Romans, and that's what's illustrated to us in Matthew chapter 4, is that Jesus, living this life as full man and completely God, resisted temptation, just like we are called to resist temptation, he did resist temptation. And his righteousness, never sinning once in his life, when we put our faith and trust in Jesus, his righteousness becomes our own, becoming the very righteousness of God. So when Jesus says, I must do this thing in order to fulfill all righteousness, he's talking about your righteousness and my righteousness. His righteousness becomes our own. Isn't it odd that for a series about the miracles of Jesus, we don't read one here? At least not one that Jesus performs like the others that we'll read in Matthew. But maybe that's the point. Maybe that's the point. 
that God is doing something much bigger. His agenda is grander than a momentary healing or a display of power. That what God is doing is greater than any convenience that he could have had in giving in to that temptation and turning those stones into bread. God is up to something bigger. God is up to something new, something wider and deeper than any momentary miracle can achieve. This narrative in the desert tells us that the Father sent the Son who was fully divine and fully man, not so that he could be an accessory to our life, not so that he could be the new app that could provide just a little more organization or a little more comfort or convenience. That's not the point of Jesus coming or being sent. His goals were not even to rid the world of poverty for a season or to redistribute wealth. His goal was not to make Israel great again or to make America great again. The Father sent the Son to make all things new again. New again. Maybe that's the miracle. The Son of God, Son of Man, breaking into a broken world to make all things new. That his righteousness that was on full display in the desert. And we know that Jesus resisted temptation even before that. Even growing up as a kid, he said no to temptation, to the lust of the flesh and the lust of the eyes. Um, There's so many moments that we know Jesus in his divinity could have stepped in and changed things for his own comfort, right? I remember, if you remember in the Gospels, and we'll get, well, it's in Matthew. I don't think we're gonna cover this, but remember when Pilate and Jesus was in Pilate's presence and um, Pilate was... uh, trying to dialogue with Jesus, understand what's going on, and you know why these people have, have done this to you? What have you done? Who are you? In any moment, Jesus could have stopped that process. And Jesus said, it's not by your authority that this is happening. I've given up my life, and I will take it up again. At any moment when Jesus faced hardship and suffering, he could have used his divinity to say, no, I'm done with that moment. I can change it. But he didn't. He didn't. Uh, He withstood hardship and temptation and suffering. He did all this to fulfill all righteousness so that we could become sons and daughters of God and that when we put our faith and trust in him, he breaks into our life and his righteousness becomes our own righteousness. So that when the Father looks at the panorama of our life, he sees the very righteousness of his Son. That's good news. That's good news for us. And so my question for us, uh, and you're gonna hear me ask this throughout this series, has that kind of Jesus, that kind of son of God broken into your life? The kind of son who wants to make brand things brand new in your life, who is inviting you to take on his righteousness, to be redeemed, restored, to be forgiven of sin. Has that kind of Jesus broken into your life? We have an opportunity to respond every week that we gather, and this morning is no different. And so we will respond today to the word of God. Uh, We will respond to that Jesus that we saw resist temptation in the desert. Uh, Will you say yes to him? Uh, Will you allow him to break into your life? Will you put your faith in the righteousness of the Son of God? Let's pray. Father, thank you so much for your grace. Thank you so much for your son who was fully God and fully man. Thank you, Lord, that we get to see what that looked like. Uh, Just a, 
a few moments of what that looked like in the desert. But let that be a reminder to us that your son was holy and fully righteous and he suffered and resisted temptation as a man. He was the new Adam and the new Israel so that we could be made righteous, so that his righteousness in those moments could become our own. So Lord, as we respond to you today, Lord, I pray that you help us to see and savor that truth about Jesus. May we let him break into our life in the same way that he broke into all creation. In Jesus' name we pray and all God's people said, amen. We invite you to respond. Um, brother or sister in Christ, this is a moment obviously to rejoice in who Christ is, is that he's the sent one, the righteous one. Would you rejoice in that way today? Um, it may be that you wanna come and, and pray here our commitment to you as someone will come alongside you and pray over you and with you. Uh, it may be that you just need to repent of uh, taking Jesus's life for granted. Uh, he's been an accessory to you, that you've been looking to him only for those momentary fixes. Give me that job, give me this. And, and Jesus can do those things and he does those things, but Jesus wants you to look to the bigger, greater, and grander moments that God is redeeming and putting back together and making new in your life. He's ushering in a new kingdom. Maybe you need to say, Lord, I haven't been looking to that new kingdom. I've been looking to my kingdom. God's not in the business of small kingdoms, but big kingdoms. Um, so maybe you need to repent and say, Lord, help me to keep my eye focused on that and why Jesus lived that righteous life to begin with. And lastly, if you've never put your faith and trust in Jesus, if, if he's never broken into your life in that kind of way where you put your faith in this man, this son of God and son of man, will you do that today? No forgiveness of sin and know his righteousness. Let's all stand together. We will sing and respond. We'll do that this morning.
righteousness, O oh God, how I need you. And I need you. Soften my heart and break me apart. I need you to open my eyes to see that you're shaping my life. All I am, I serve. Trust what you say, that you're good, your love is great. I'm broken inside, I give you my
Your spirit's strong in me. My flesh may fail, but my God, you never will. First Baptist Church has been broadcasting its services of new life and historic faith for 46 years. We would like to ask that you continue to pray with us for this ministry and also for your financial support so that we can continue this ministry for years to come. Thank you.